0: A podcast
1: one production. Hello, I'm Gary Megan and welcome to a plate to call home where we explore the stories behind the food and get to know some of my food heroes. My next guest is Matt Sinclair, who grew up in Sydney, and his passion for food started at a really young age and was spurred on by his great-grandmother, Elsie. Matt credits Elsie and his mother, Elva, with inspiring his culinary career. His first foray into hospitality came at a really young age. In fact, he's been a hospitalitarian, mainly front of house, for nearly all of his career. It started in Somersault in Cronulla. He then moved to Canada to work as a bartender and a landscaper and travelled solo through India. It was this love of food and travel and these experiences that took Matt into the MasterChef Australia Kitchen back in 2016, where he was runner-up, even though every time I say it, he cringes. I mean, I think he's done pretty well, don't you? He's easygoing, he's got a sense of humour, he's got charm, and he's made himself into a household name. Matt is now the co-owner of Some Young Guys, which won its first chef at in 2019, and he's appeared regularly on Australian television, whether it's MasterChef, as a mentor, or his own cooking show, The Cook's Pantry. So, take a listen. Matt Sinclair. So, what's it like, you know, that bright, shiny post-MasterChef life? Oh. <laughs> uh, running a successful restaurant, the man about town, a young child, uh, a farm property by the, look, by the looks of it that you've been working on. Yeah. Gee, it's been a whirlwind, hasn't it?
0: It's been uh, very intense. It's the interesting thing coming off the, the back end of, of the whole MasterChef phenomenon. It's like you just hit a treadmill and someone else is controlling the speed.
1: How fast is it going? <laughs> a good solid gallop. What, what have we set it on? <laughs> 16.
0: Yeah, so it's been, it's been wild, you know, obviously beyond anything that I've ever imagined. Um, but you know, with it all, there's certainly come its, its challenges,
1: that's for sure. I mean, you know, you are probably one of the most recognisable faces of MasterChef. You never won, which is... (laughs) And I'm not saying that in a terrible way. I I think it's probably a a great thing that you didn't win because it allowed you to just dive off and do other stuff without getting caught up with, you know, the other bits and pieces.
0: The the added height, I guess, you know. Um, I think, yeah, it was absolutely a blessing in disguise. It it gave me, uh, I guess, that slight ability to fly... Uh, ever so slightly under the radar um, and I didn't, didn't get swept up in, in all the, the excess uh, media and PR and, and commitments that came with it. It was uh, plain and simple, just get down to business uh, and it gave me the freedom to, to make those decisions. And I think at the same time, when you, when you come second and you're coming off the back end of a highly competitive environment, you, you've kind of got something to prove. <laughs> so it's like, well, now it's time for me to just really dig in uh, and get out there and, and, I guess, make all of this uh, fruitful.
1: And you did hit the ground running. I'm not sure about flying under the radar bit. I mean, you know, I think what happens is the winner gets caught up doing all of the publicity and, the, you know, they're on the you know their own treadmill for three months. It doesn't allow them to do anything. And often there was a book deal in place so they they're, they're doing that whereas you kind of you just went straight in you did um, you set up 10 piece cutlery didn't you which was your yeah catering company the food truck idea and then before we know it we've got a restaurant some young guys before we know what's hit us and I'm not talking about I'm talking about you yeah but what what the rest <laughs> of us have t- trying to take in is that you got a chef's hat in 2019 unbelievable and then you were in delicious uh, 100 yeah one of the best restaurants in Australia and so really within a year or so you've become a proper hospitalitarian restaurant, uh, you know, face of the industry up there on the Sunshine Coast.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's funny on, on that point, guys. Uh, you know, I, th- I think one of the hardest things coming out of the show was uh, having to break free of the image and the mould that, oh, here we go, another TV chef. Um, absolutely one of the most difficult uh, and I, I think uh, – biggest mind games that I had to play was, you know, a lot of the engagements and, um, and food-related activities that I had after the show, uh, it required some form of interaction with, with chefs, with people that have been uh, in the industry for quite some time. And to be honest, there was a lot of situations where it's almost like you set up to fail. You know, they, they really, they don't want a bar of it. I guess they kind of call bullshit on it uh, to some degree. I, I got into a mode where I was constantly having to try and prove myself uh, and yet you, you put yourself under enormous pressure with that came some amazing results which was was gratifying but yeah it's, it's been I think probably in the last 12 months it has been when I've probably finally started to to become a little bit more at ease with it uh, the restaurant's been going for three years uh, on the 9th of June uh, so you know
1: congratulations thank you very much
0: it's you know the last the last three months has been one hell of a challenge. Um, But for us to be able to come through that, uh, I think we've certainly earned our stripes. And, um, yeah, I'm I'm really starting to, I guess, relax and and feel comfortable within the role.
1: You know, I remember standing outside uh, your restaurant before it was a restaurant. I think you have just taken over the lease. And I I felt very privileged to share that, you know, that little moment with you. I mean, I'm I'm just uh, on the sidelines. But I thought, gee, there's a lot in front of this guy. So it was empty. It was just... rubbish you know there was nothing in it, it. Was, <laughs> I mean what was up for it what was good about it was it had a low rent which I was like great thumbs up that's first box ticked right explain because you went into business with uh, three other guys is that right so you got Mo yep. uh, you got Dylan is that right yep and Jeremiah Jeremiah yep and you've signed on the dotted line what did it feel like it's a leap of a leap of faith it's, isn't it's it? just
0: it's like you're jumping out of the plane it is you know and and, and whilst we collectively we'd all been in hospitality since we were 15 Um, myself and Dylan came from the front of house the two other boys they're all classically trained went through the ranks did their apprentice uh, apprenticeships and all that you know there was a relatively decent level of I guess expertise and and skill but it was it's totally different when you you're there just doing uh, you know that one job that one role that you have working for someone else and then you start to bring into play all of the other moving parts and the responsibility that lies with you in terms of uh, the day-to-day mechanics of a restaurant. The gravity of it hit us, I think, when we when we got the keys. We got the keys on Good Friday, uh, and it was just all systems go. Uh, we were doing it on a shoestring budget. Then, then to, to finally have to get to the point where you've got your, your menu set, your staff are trained, the fridges are stocked, the, the bookings are there, and you've got to open up the doors. And, and really, you, you, you've got to figure it out as you go. I think within the first, the first dinner service that we had, uh, the next day, Four of the dishes have been scrapped because it was just an absolute joke. The amount of sets of hands it had to go through in order to put on the plate and things like that, it was just diving in the deep end and, you know, sitting down at the end of each each service and each shift you're going, wow, okay, this has got to go, this has got to change. You know, it was just a constant reshuffle and a juggle for probably the first three months at least.
1: Because you, you stripped the place and, you know, so you sanded everything, and you painted everything. you Like you said, you did it on a shoestring. So you boys were all in... St- Doing it yourselves. Give us an illustration of the different conversations between that weeks before opening a restaurant and then weeks after. Because I'm sure at one level, you know, you're scrubbing stuff and try and, you know, going, Yeah, we can use this stove again. This is great. And you're full of optimism and, and fight. And then four weeks later, let's say you've had a crazy service and you do that thing, only chefs understand this, or hospitalitarians understand. You kind of lean with all your weight on the bench and you look at each other. <laughs> Don't you do that? <laughs> yeah, and
0: you think, oh, I don't know if I can make it through another one of them.
1: <laughs> How different were those conversations? Can you give us a sense of what they were?
0: I think it's when you start to get a big dose of reality. You know, I think in the in the lead up to it, in the fit out, um, it, there's a lot of uh, anticipation and, and good nervous energy um, and you don't obviously have that added weight of having to, to perform yet. Um, I think another thing we we were fortunate enough to attract uh, a lot of attention and I guess a lot of hype uh, with me coming off the back end of the show. But at the same time, that brings um, the, 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 the potential for a lot of haters, uh, for lack of a better word, and people almost wanting to see what it's all about, wanting to see what we've got, uh, wanting to see if we're going to survive. Um, you know, so, so I think the, the criticism and the scrutiny that you put yourself under and you put every movement and every dish uh, under, after every uh service in the beginning is so heightened your emotional uh your emotional stability is is definitely rocked um you know so your ability to to have to process things but, but recoup and get in there and do another 17 18 hour a day again and again and again and again until you start to get a little bit of momentum uh it's there was a lot of breakdowns. There was a lot of tears and cuddles in the courtroom. room. <laughs> um, people were sitting on buckets and just head in hands going, oh, this is so much heavier than what we had imagined.
1: Can you remember one of those sitting on the bucket moments?
0: Yes, I remember opening the door and it was, it was uh, one of the big fellows, Mo. He was, uh, I guess, someone that I'd always looked to for uh, stability and, and, and reassurance. That, that it was all going to be okay because I, I was with Mo in 10-piece Cutlery, so we sort of had a a twelve month uh, working relationship before that, and me being extremely green and him having some some uh, experience, I, I looked to him for that comfort, and I'll never forget when I opened the door and he was he was sitting on a twenty liter uh, oil drum, and he was just broken, speechless, uh, tears rolling down the face because it was just we were just done you know um but I, I think collectively at each point everyone had the the ups and the downs and you're just kind of uh shuffling the energy and the and the uh the, the good vibes to, to try and prop each other up what did you say to mo i just had a big big cuddle with him and i just got down on got down on one knee pretty much wrapped my arms around him and i said we'll be right, big fella you know new day new day because the night before was horrific
1: what what what, what why was it horrific Sorry to be ne- sorry to focus on the negative, minute. No,
0: that's all right. Um, there was pod system issues. So, for those that don't
1: know, point of
0: sale. Uh, so, yeah, so your point of sale system. So the dockets were coming through the way that they were set out we, because we were doing a share style menu. So it was a, it, it's a rolling menu, which um, for anyone it, Sydney and Melbourne, it's, it was a huge thing. But it was a new thing to introduce to Noosa. We didn't know how that was going to go. So figuring out the flow of that. Um, You know, there was larges going before mediums and and mediums going before smalls and and just no communication between sections and no communication between who was running it and who was on the pass. And it was just uh, structurally uh, falling apart.
1: So for a layman, uh, break that down. I mean, you're looking at, so if everybody's having like a progressive shared, normally with a docket, you get entrees, mains, they send the entrees, then you send the mains and you rip the docket off. Yeah. With a progressive thing, you've got like a hundred dockets just all sitting in front of you you? and you and you're trying to cross it off and trying to communicate efficiently with the waiter or wait person opposite you where are they at what are they on It's chess isn't it
0: there is a lot more communication it's more high touch you know it's uh yeah it's it took us quite a while to become in sync and being able to gauge where people are going to be at looking at the docket looking at the time on the docket looking at what's already been crossed off how long that's been are they ready for the next next run so i think for us one of the biggest things we were questioning is, is are we going to be able to pull off this, this share-style banquet menu uh, when none of us had ever done it before because the, the boys had come from conventional-style menus doing entree main dessert, having their own section and just knocking them out as the mains away docker comes in. Yeah. Uh, whereas us, it's just more of a – high. It's it's there's a much higher level of communication required. Um, so we certainly felt like we'd bitten off more than we could chew in the beginning.
1: And from a diner's perspective, they're thinking the opposite, aren't they? So casual, it's easy. We're all just like, yeah, you know, it's great. Yeah, yeah, bring but, but, it when you want, stick it on the table.
0: The kitchen will send food as they see fit. <laughs> we, we couldn't see
1: the forest for the trees. When did you know that you were um, emo- super emotionally connected to what was going on? Because this is the difference, isn't it, between working for someone and now um, running your own business? Because everything matters.
0: There was no desire for a day off or a break. You just become absolutely wholly and solely obsessed. You're itching to get back in there in the mor- in the morning because you know there's there's more things to polish and more things to perfect and you know where near you saw yourself being. You know, so you're constantly working towards that to I, I guess it's it was to prove it to ourself, but also for me again personally, it was to prove it to a lot of the naysayers that were putting me in the T V chef category. Um I was like, nah,
1: I I I want to be taken seriously. Had you ever felt like that in your career before?
0: Never, never. Um, you know, I knew that making the transition, it was always going to attract that kind of opinion and that kind of criticism. The weight of it, I don't think, really dawned on me. And, you know, it's, it started to come out in other ways and, and, and my, the stress and the pressure that I was putting myself under, it, I could tell that that's where it was coming from, um, was that constant need to, to have to prove myself to feel like uh, I belonged.
1: Are you saying that you went beyond what was kind of a rational approach to feedback and fixing problems? I mean, did it become overly emotional? Did it become? Yeah, uh,
0: and I think I, I mean, I guess even still, I I look at you know what it's like when you you have to hand something over to staff, and then you you see the level of care that is taken um, as opposed to what you would be putting into something. It's it's you know, it's it's been a hard thing for me to to navigate and I guess develop a tolerance and an acceptance that if it's not coming out of my hands and it's not done by me, then there is going to be that level and that small percentage that will slip. And, and I guess it's just one of those things that how you stay over the top of that uh, and how you enforce that, it, there's, there's, a, there's a specific way in which you go about that in order to try and get the results and not to be an asshole.
1: Have you been an asshole?
0: <laughs> I have been an asshole. yes. And I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm not proud of it, and I, and I, I know that it's – I just I couldn't get my head around why someone didn't care about doing something as much as what I did, and they didn't want to pay attention to the way that, um, that the curries were cooked and seasoned and, and garnished and, uh, you know, why the rice um, looks overcooked, uh, why the roasted rice hasn't been roasted enough, uh, why the kaffir lime's starting to dry out in the, in the takeaways and it hasn't got a little wet cloth over the top of it. Little things like that would just compound – uh, and accumulate and just send me off the edge. What's
1: brought you back?
0: A little bit more experience, mm. yeah, a bit more experience, and I guess a little bit more confidence um, in our staff in in their abilities that that they they can get the job done and they do care and more experience at managing. I think you know and and knowing how to get the best out of them, knowing how to build those relationships. I guess at the same time, they know now if if I do. Uh, bark a little bit or speak up about something or correct something that I'm not just doing it on a whim um, because they know that I truly do care um, and am immensely passionate beyond measure about what we do there.
1: What, what do you recognise as the biggest change in you uh, now three years later to when you started and started encountering those first problems? Is there a thing you can put your finger on you go, i do this differently now?
0: The way that I approach menu changes, absolutely. Uh, I've had to learn that you can't, you can't force creativity. I think I think I also had to learn. You know, I, I'd want to change dishes all the time, and I want to change things. And, and the boys were like, "Well, they, but there's nothing wrong with it. People love it." I'm like, "Yeah, no, but I'm I'm done with it. I want to change it." It's like I was I, I had to get out there and show, pull another ace out of my sleeve. So I've had to learn to relax with that and 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 trust and almost go back and sit down and, and eat the dish, and 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 go. It's actually pretty bloody good. Why change it? Don't force it. You know. And then look at other little other little weaknesses. I remember having a chat with you and George about menus and 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 how you look uh, at, at where you make your menu changes. And you basically said the menus like real estate, you know. So you got to look at like your bottom twenty percent performers. It's taking up real estate, and if it's not mm. you know being fruitful and 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 proving it's worth on the menu, then that's what you change. You don't don't go up there and take off the top tier. So that's sort of what I look at doing. And now I delve deeper and I look at the sales report, reports. I look at at the patterns in the sales of these dishes and see what's dipping, you know, if there's a bit of an update or if there's that, that consistency that it's not really performing, not because it's a bad dish, but it's just you've got to play to your market now. And I, I'm starting to understand that.
1: There's a time and a place. Sometimes a dish will work. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or it might not. Let's say it won't it doesn't work, and then you bring it back a little later and it works. There's no rhyme or reason sometimes.
0: Especially being in Noosa, we get a lot of uh, a lot of traffic from Sydney and Melbourne. I, I guess you've got a more adventurous palate, uh, and you, you're quite open to, to new things. So we, I know that in school holiday periods, there's certain dishes that people will lean towards because we've got a, a huge audience of Sydney, and Melbourne. So it's all these of little things where you just get a, a greater understanding of, of who you're dealing
1: with and who you're cooking for. I remember somebody telling me, and this is much later on in my career than this has happened to you, but they said it sounded so obvious. They said, you know what, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you go to a restaurant wanting to have a dish that you had last time because it was amazing, and you go back and they've taken it off. Yeah. And it's some chef like you pointing at me <laughs> who's taken it off because I was bored, you know, because you'd be making it over and over again and you go and of that dish, take it off, replace it with something, and often not replace it with anything substantially better. And, of course, somebody comes back to you because you're famous for that thing or they loved that thing and it's bloody gone. And actually in years since, I do the same. I go to a restaurant and go, oh.
0: <laughs> you're that guy.
1: <laughs> it's like George, George took off um, souvlaki from um, Ghazi in the city, this was a couple of years ago. And I went in and I thought, I'm going to have the prawn souvlaki. He took it off the menu and I go, I only come here for souvlaki. And he goes, yeah, we're finding that that out a lot. And I go, well, put it back on. He goes, I want to move, I want to create. I go, yeah, but you can serve souvlaki and go and open another restaurant and do something else there.
0: It it is the thing though, and and I guess the way that I look at that is changing the menu for the guys in the kitchen that that are cooking it I feel like you're almost going to get a better result because they're going to care about it again. They're going to fall in love with the dish all over again. They're not there just slinging the same thing that they've been doing for three years. Um, it, it's giving them something new to sink their teeth into in which if, if they're caring about it, then they, you're going to get a better result. That's, that's just kind of how I look at it. I guess there comes a point where we've got to continue to, to evolve and reinvent ourselves and challenge ourselves. And, and you know, if we've been cooking for six months more, uh, six months after when that dish was done, then we should have acquired some new skills, So should have acquired some, some, you know, greater knowledge and, and, and read more and eaten more um, and cooked more at home and, 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 and been more experimental. And then that's when I'm like, okay, yeah, I've got, I think there's a few things here that I can put together to make a great dish to replace this one. It, it never ends.
1: I think that's part of the reason you're successful, just putting it out there. And it never will end. That's your, no. that's your curse kind of thing. Unless, you, unless for some reason you have a moment and we just find you meditating in a field. Do you know what I mean?
0: It's a, it's a healthy obsession. That's what I keep telling myself.
1: I love making this series and I hope that you love listening too. If you do, subscribe and send us a message, because believe it or not, we actually read those messages. What we want to know is what you think about the show, more importantly about the conversations that we have with our guests. We love hearing from you. That's what I'm trying to say. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One Australia, or wherever you listen. And if you're feeling like it, maybe even recommend the show to a friend. You never know, they might find it as delicious as you do. Some young guys, it's been, it's been a pleasure for me to see how successful that's been. Because I remember turning around to you and saying, my advice, this four-partner idea, you remember that? I said, I love the restaurant, love the fact, you know, you've ticked the box on a low rent, but, you know, you just need, you're sure you want to do this thing? And we try and give the best advice. And actually, you know, and I, it's a bit like... Chef, in a sense, watching people succeed when you've given them advice to, to the contrary, is that to the contrary, to my advice, you've gone and made this a massive success. How's the relationship with, with the boys now, year three?
0: Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Honestly, uh, and, and I, I'll never forget that conversation with you. And, and I did. I walked away from going, oh, shit. shit. <laughs> That's not, you know, when you, when you just, you're in that moment in your life and you just want to hear what you want to hear that was not what I wanted to hear from you. And, uh, and it did, I've kind of walked away going, oh, God, you know, but we, we had 10 years of friendship in the lead up to that, which can also be a negative thing. They say there's no friends in business, but I think in all honesty, what people said would be our greatest downfall has been our greatest strength. We've honestly supported each other. We've, we've, we've ridden the wave together. Um, they've been supportive of everything that I've, any of my commitments outside of the restaurant, um, and I guess you know we we've just had to learn to be so incredibly open and honest. And, and when things are starting to bubble away, you got four big personalities that are operating in that building. It, as soon as there's a slight blip, and we're like, okay, this is someone's got the shits, or um, you, you know, you can tell in the group chat, oh, oh uh, Mo's got something to say to Jazz, or I can feel it coming. We go right meeting tomorrow morning. We're all gonna sit down and have a coffee, and we're gonna get this shit on the table. And it's the only way for us to do it.
1: I mean, I suppose, you know, you look at three blue ducks. You've got Mark LeBroy and Chris and Sam and obviously Darren. I think Andy Allen now as well. That's a good example, isn't it, of them yeah. starting with a, a number of them with best intentions to cook great food, surf, and, you know, have a good time. And, and the kind of bitter establishment, which is us a lot, you know, in, in hospitality that have been gr- grinding it for years, we go, ah, that'll never work. And, of course, it does. Have a bit of fun you know, put good friends together and create great businesses now for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, we are four absolute polar opposites. Like we are all chalk and cheese and I feel like that's the reason why it works. Um, If there was four of me. Disaster. Disaster. Nightmare. No staff. No staff.
1: So who's the politician? (laughs) Who's the politician?
0: Jeremiah is probably the one that he's the the good mediator. Um, Dylan's very, very relaxed and very, uh, methodical uh, and, and Mo, <laughs> Mo, when he speaks up, like when he's got something to say, uh, you but you always know where you stand. There's, there's just a really nice balance. It's you got four, yeah, as I said, very big personalities, but the balance between the four of us, uh, it, it makes it work.
1: How do they deal with your um, your public profile? I mean, I'm sure it must drive them bonkers sometimes. That certainly at the beginning, opening. Some young guys that everybody that came in just wanted to see you.
0: Still get that. Um, I think if anything, they've seen me over the last few years. Uh, I guess they've been able to to watch from the outside and see that it it had started to take its toll on me. Um, because you know, again, it kind of makes you feel like, well, what, what are they are they coming here for the food? It's an interesting situation. But if anything, they've always just run defense for me. You know, to to sort of. Protect my, my my mindset on the day when when I'm we're cooking and, and cooking in that kitchen. It's intense, you know. So you, you want to be focused. You want to be on, um, and as much as possible, I'll always try to drop what I'm doing to have a quick chat and a photo and all that. Then there's other, those other occasions where you just can't. They pick a bad moment, and the boys they'll just run defence for me. They'll stand in front of me. They'll you know they'll keep me busy, and we just get on with the job. And and with all any of my external commitments. Uh, they've been nothing but supportive because I guess they know that if I'm out there in, in, in the public, uh, I, whether it's doing a cooking demonstration or um, doing something TV-related or, or radio or doing a podcast and things like this, um, they know that it's, it's all in the loop.
1: Because it would take a bit of your time. I mean, you did your own show, which was Cook's Pantry, and then you were a mentor season 11, weren't you, on MasterChef? So that's a, that's a hell of a commitment yep. away from the restaurant and they're working hard and carrying that side of the business.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it, it wouldn't have been possible unless I had their support, to be honest. Uh, if I didn't have their blessing to go, you know, almost it was built into my job description with, within the business, within the restaurant, um, that, that that was, that was going to be part and parcel of, of my role. But unless I had their blessing to do those things, um, I, I would have had to walk away from them because the
1: restaurant was always going to be number one. Can I take you back in time a little bit? Because I didn't, and I think, you know, I'm guilty of this with most years of MasterChef is I tend to, I don't do a lot of research on the contestants. I mean, Matt does, for example. He knows every detail. And I like their personalities to kind of unfold. And I think we all fell in love with you for different reasons, the, you know, the viewing audience. But after the fact, I went, I knew you were in hospitality. I knew you, I think your title on the show was, was it, Coffee Roaster? I think that's what they gave, yeah, they gave you. Yeah, which
0: is the last thing I did in hospital, yeah.
1: Once you'd left and you started 10-piece, cutlery, I thought, no, nah, this guy had a plan. You had a plan before you came into this, into the competition, didn't you? Like it was well laid out. Can you delve into that a little bit? Because you'd been in hospitality since you were, not in the kitchen, I presume. Not in the kitchen, you have no. been in hospitality uh, for, since you were a kid. Yeah, since I was 15 was my first
0: job in hospital um, and was in it until the day I went on the show. Um, so the, the, the crazy thing is how I became involved in MasterChef, uh, you know they, they send a, the production team they go on a bit of a bit of a road trip a bit of a tour. they go to booty destinations, farmers markets, things like that to try and speak to people and and, and gather interest for contestants so they went to uh, they went to Ricky's, uh for people that know news. so they went to ricky 's restaurant, spoke to the gm and Jeremiah was working at the Woodfire Grill at the time, which was Rick, ricky 's little little sister restaurant. Jeremiah gave my name and number to uh, Emma, who was a part of the production team, and said, this guy's pretty handy in the kitchen. Give him a buzz and see if he'd to go on the show. <laughs> so then I get a phone call from Jeremiah. I'm on my way to Mo's house to start talking to him about what turned into 10 cutlery. So we were talking about setting up a market business because I wanted to make the transition. I wanted to start cooking. I was I was done with the front of house. Um, I, I'd come to the absolute realization that food was my thing and i needed to be cooking if i was going to be happy and, and and that's what i wanted to do for the rest of my life that's that's where I was at
1: hold hold the thought about where you're going but why was that because surely a lot of a lot of front of house staff look at the kitchen and go i'm never going in there
0: <laughs> it was something i couldn't ignore anymore i guess and i and i had to figure out a way to turn that into a into a livelihood i was just everything that I wanted to do was around food. I, all my days off with cooking, I loved getting people together to cook. I loved experimenting with things. All of my best mates were always chefs. I'll never forget working in restaurants and, and you know, working on the pass or even just walking up to the pass to collect food and watching the mechanics and the cogs and, and just the, the, the fluency and, the, and the, the chaos in the kitchen. Uh, it was just I – I was all about it. Um, and that was – that happened for probably – Five or six years, I reckon, and and it just got stronger and stronger and stronger. And then that's when I started talking to Mo about how how we make a move and how we start doing markets or we do a food truck um, because I I had to just switch over.
1: So who said go on MasterChef then?
0: So I received a phone call. I went around to Mo's house and I go, you're not going to believe it. I've just received a phone call to see if I want to be a contestant on MasterChef. It was it was such a clash of timeline because of what we were setting out to do with the markets, and it was going to be six months. Six months, potentially, if you went to the end of MasterChef, you're going to be six months in the competition, locked down in Melbourne. So there was a lot of – my initial reaction was, nah, not interested. Don't – the whole TV cooking thing, not for me. Um, not the line I want to go down. I just got married in July, and this was August. Uh, <laughs> so – after a lot of back and forth and, and resistance and I think it just started to eat away at me and, and I thought, well, this is never going to come around again. And what have I got to lose? Um, I think my biggest fear was going on national TV and standing in front of the likes of Gary Megan, George Kalambaras and Matt Preston and being told that I was a shit cook. You know, I was like, well, if, if that happens, then what like I, I've, I've got this passion and I want to do this, but if I go on there onto that sort of platform and told them no good, where does that leave me? Hopeless. So I had to, I just muster up the courage and go, okay. And I had a lot of people behind me: my, my, my wife, my parents, and my closest friends, um, just backing me and, and trying to build me up and go, just do it, just go and do it. So um, I sent in the application.
1: Was it? Was there one? Was there one conversation that tipped you over the edge? Was it Jess, your wife, or your dad?
0: Jess. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was Jess. Well, what did she say? She, she basically said, I've got, I've got everything covered here. You know, you don't need to worry about me. This is, this is never going to come around again. And if you don't take it now, I know that in years to come, this is going to eat you alive if you say no. And I knew it. And I knew it. And I knew if, if, I'd gone, if I was going on for like a month of, of nonstop back and forth and, not, and indecisive about it, I knew deep down that it was something I had to do.
1: You know, when I realised, I think, um, that you had – more of a hospitality background. It shows you what a I – I tend to just float through life uh, <laughs> just looking at shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, we were standing outside of that restaurant of yours before you'd set it up. I think I'd just taken a selfie or something. And you waved, and I can't remember the lady's name. Who owns Bistro C's? L- uh, Laurie Banks, yeah. Laurie, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So Laurie Banks walks past from Bistro C's, who is like Noosa Institution, and you had like a quick chat as if you were old best friends. And I just went <laughs> – Ah, that Matt Sinclair. He knows a little more than I thought he did. <laughs> Do you know what I mean?
0: I did, uh, I actually did uh, five years with, with Loz at, at Bistro C.
1: And I reckon that's got to be one of the hardest working, if not the hardest working restaurants in Noosa. And it has been for what, 20 plus years?
0: Yeah, that that place is an absolute beast. Um, you know, you're doing 400 for brekkies, 350 for lunch, 400 for dinner uh, in 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 summertime. Like it's just... It's a it's an absolute spanking, yeah. um, but but a, but a great you know a great training ground that's for sure. Do
1: you remember any funny stories from back in the day? <laughs> Nothing that'll incriminate anybody, but I just I always like to ask.
0: Oh, okay, <laughs> so I'll give you a snapshot as to how how Laurie operates. So it was a, it was Noosa Triathlon. Okay, so the town packs out. You've got you've got ten to twelve thousand uh, athletes and, and spectators and that coming into town. Restaurants pack out. And you, Loz is, she's probably, she would have been 60, a bit over 60 at the time. So um, you've got this lady dressed to the nines, still running on the floor, like, and, and it's a packed house. There's people everywhere, there's people standing there drinking cocktails and everything. And there's a guy sitting at a table, still in his lycra. Uh, he'd just finished the, the bike and he'd come to join a, a group of his mates to, um, to, to celebrate with them, but he wasn't drinking, wasn't eating. And I saw Laurie go up, she'd been watching him and clocking him and seeing that he wasn't doing anything, he was just sitting there sipping on his water. And she went up behind him, pulled, was you've got this 60-year-old woman pulling the chair from underneath <laughs> him saying, I'm sorry, Bobby, I need this chair, you're not doing anything. And, just, and took it out and just said, sorry, mate. And just, just like I so she's setting up tables in between tables. But that's, that's just how she, she runs it, you know. And, and a lot of people look at that and go, Oh, that's, that's uncalled, for. That's not right. But uh, how do you argue with 25 years at, at the absolute peak of nurses' hospitality? As you said, it's an institution. Um, you, there's, there's been a lot of scenarios even in, in, in some young guys where, especially in the early days, we, we'd say, I wonder what Laurie would do in, in this situation because she just didn't cop it. Um, so, yeah, it's, that place is a,
1: is a rule unto itself. I, th- I think people don't realise, do they, the cost of that chair. You know, they go, it's just a chair. Like, what's wrong with it? But if you go to that place in the height of summer or height of, you know, their busy seasons, and Noose is kind of one busy season these days, is that you two bookings, maybe three, three services a night, you know, they're racking and stacking and you ring. You know if you don't, I ring bistro C's before I go on holiday and make a book in like, you know, a month in advance because otherwise you're just never getting a table. That don't, don't care who it is, you'll wait. And didn't you serve me? Was it you that served me? I'm trying to remember.
0: I did serve you. I'll never forget it. Yeah, you were sitting. I even remember where you sat. So you sat. Um, if you're looking out at the beach, you sat uh, on the front left. I think there was a total of about seven or eight of you. Um, yeah, I remember it very clearly. Easy. I'm
1: an easy diner. I'll eat anything. <laughs> out, outside of um, the hospitality game, who, who's influenced you the most, do you think, in your life? Oh, I've I've got a phenomenal
0: relationship with my mum and dad. Um, I think I think the biggest thing and the biggest role that they have played is keeping me grounded. You get set on this uh, insane trajectory after leaving the show, and you get all these new amazing opportunities, and you're dealing with all different people, and you're mixing in different circles. Um, but at the same time, I think that you know I've, I've watched my mum and dad work damn hard uh, for everything that they've got, and we we had a pretty uh, pretty standard upbringing, you know, mum and dad will work all year round to, to be able to give us a camping holiday for, for, you know, every Christmas. That's what we do. We pack the car on Boxing Day, come up and stay on a friend's property uh, in Noosa uh, on their acreage. And, and that was that. So I've, I've watched them for everything they've got to, to work out, work multiple jobs um, to give us everything. And, and I guess, you know, in my position, being open up to, to this amazing new world with endless opportunities Um, it's been a a very humbling reminder, um, you know, to to never forget what it all means and what it's all worth at the end of the day. You know, so I think I always look to them if things start to get a little bit too much or um, I'm not, not coping with things or, or the, you know, don't know how to process what's happening. um, Don't know whether to make a decision to do something or not. Uh, It's always nice to be able to sit down with them and, uh, and just, just talk through it because, at the end of the day, they, they've been with me the longest, really. Um, so they know what I'm like and they can tell when I'm starting to crawl into a, a bit of a hole and, and not manage things. So for me, they're, they're probably my greatest leveler.
1: Has that happened where they're oh, yeah. coming in?
0: Yeah, there's been many, many scenarios where I've pretty much had, had meltdowns and uh, been overwhelmed to a point where I don't have any clarity to make informed decisions. Um, which is, is a scary thing because you, you always think, you know, if, if I make the wrong call, uh, you have that fear of failure and you have the, the, the fear of making the mistake. And I guess the, 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 the glossy image that you walk away with from a, a reality TV show, uh, you, I guess you have a commitment to the maintenance of that, you know. So there's, there's, there's definitely been those scenarios where you, I've had to question if I'm making those, the, the right decisions.
1: These sound like recent struggles. Is it, have you've been finding it tough recently?
0: Yeah, I, I think, um, I think I've I've had a lot of reflection lately. Uh, obviously, having a lot of spare time with the restaurant not operating, I've had a lot of downtime and a lot of uh, time to, to put thought into where I'm at at the moment, where you know where I've come from, where I'm at now, and where I want this all to go. Um, you know, we, we've put a lot of Time and effort into the farm that we've recently purchased. I've just registered to, uh, it's called a, a pick number. So I'm, I'm allowed to, to purchase cattle um, and all these sorts of things. But I, I think I, I definitely recently gone through a stage where you feel like you've got a lot of balls up in the air and you're trying to focus on them all at once. And it, it does, it, it gets overwhelming at times. I think it's going to be a really healthy thing for the restaurant to reopen because I'm going to have some form of structure, you know, so that's sort of set in place. And then I can try to mold everything around that and make decisions based on my workload and, and my investment there. So, mm. um, yeah, it's, it, as I said, you know, it's, it's been – it hasn't come without its challenges and its moments of doubt and, uh, and, me- and, and meltdowns and the fear of failure and the fear of losing it all, uh, making the wrong decisions, trying to keep everyone happy uh, is probably one of the hardest things for sure.
1: Because I think everybody sees you as just such a, you know, positive, bright, happy, yeah. on-the-go You've got it all, man. You know, that's what they're saying, isn't it? They'd be surprised that maybe not everything's always as bright and shiny on the inside.
0: No, I'm still very much human and I still uh, face the same challenges that everyone else does. Um, but I think, you know, when you get to that point in, in I guess, my career, uh, it's, it's happened in a pretty short, intense span of time. Um, and you, you—I guess—you start to think, oh, "I've got everything I've ever wanted. I've got everything I've ever dreamed of." And then you feel the pressure to just maintain it, and keeps us such a tight grip on it um, for the fear of losing it uh, and, and falling off the track. So well,
1: that's a—that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. And you're a young man too. How's that manifested itself?
0: Yeah, I think that's—that is probably the biggest thing for me. I, I, I put that pressure on myself, and I. I guess you get to a point where you want to try to control everything and make sure everything's, you know, perfect and, and, and everyone's taken care of and everyone's happy and all the relationships that are in place are all good. You sort of, you just get into this this rhythm and you go you pretty much become on autopilot. So you're thinking everything's good and you think you're, you're connected to everything and everything's controlled, but really you're, I guess you sort of at some point start to become a little bit detached.
1: Yeah, I, I remember Mandy, my wife, saying to me years ago, she said, you know, I don't mind that you work all the hours under the sun, but when you say you're going to take a Sunday off, for example, can you be here? And she doesn't mean be here because I was there, but she means just be there, you know, because she said it's just like having a dead person in the house because you work so damn hard and then on Sunday it's just like you just want to do nothing. And, of course, the people that are most important to you in your life are just like, well, that was great we didn't and i remember her saying we don't do anything we don't go anywhere and i said yeah we do i said we've been there and, we, and she goes no you did i didn't you did and it was quite a realization at the time that i have to be on when i'm home you know like just forget everything else and be on do you find that
0: 100% i've recently had those conversations with jess you know about about being being present, being switched on to what's happening, especially, you know, with Spence, he's he's two and a half years old and he's getting to a point now where you really start to build an amazing relationship with them. But I've had to learn that in order to do that, yeah, it's not about just being there physically. I, I well and truly have to be present and 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 not not get into this routine and this this uh, mindset of always thinking about the next thing I've got to do and what's coming up and what recipes I've got to um, have typed up and um, what recipes I've got to film and where I've got to be here and what's happening at the restaurant. And like all of those things, it becomes very unhealthy to be able to, I guess you've got to kind of coach yourself and retrain yourself to, to, to really go, that's it, I'm, today I'm switching off, I'm, I'm here. What are we doing? Uh, where are we going? And really, I, try, I guess I'm, I've had to learn to try and just make it all about him you know what? Do, what What do we want to do with him? Let's go somewhere. Let's go to the park. Let's cook. Um, let's go for a walk around the block. Something simple like that. But it's just being and just enjoying it um, because it, the the rate that they that they grow up, uh, it's scary. And I I don't want to look back in ten years time and go, shit, I missed a lot for what you know. I said to my sister, I, I, I I've had moments where I think I get caught between wanting to. Give him everything, but be there for nothing. You know, so I want to give him all the opportunities and make sure he has an incredible life. But at the same time, it's not. What's that worth if I'm if I don't take the time to go out the park and kick a ball with him, and I'm not there to drop him off at school and pick him up, and and just all of those little simple things that are going to build our connection. That's what I'm starting to realise is going to be much more important.
1: Is that realisation your own, or did Jess? Jess
0: played. Jess played a role in that
1: one. Pay attention, man. Uh,
0: (laughs) Yeah. Pretty much, pretty much. And I think, I think one of the most amazing things to come out of this whole isolation um, is having that, uh, you know, I- intense uh, exposure to each other uh, and living under the same roof 24 hours a day and, and having access to them and going, you know, don't, don't waste it. Like, I want to be able to look back on this. We're never going to get this kind of block of time together ever again. Um, you know, we're looking, the restaurant's going to start to reopen next week. I would like to think that we've taken full advantage of this time together. And and Jess actually said to me last night, I don't want things to go back to how it was, you know, so the restaurant's going to reopen and you're going to forget about what's happening here Um, and and be mindful of that. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting uh, couple of months moving forward.
1: I think a lot of people have felt exactly the same way. We had Jerry, Mai, you know, on the podcast and she said, it sounds terrible to say when everything's so difficult not just for them but for everybody else to turn around and go COVID-19 in a strange way has been good for her you know spending time at home you know regardless of the fact that they're losing money and that they don't, there's no certainty in reopening the restaurants etc or what's going to happen going forward I understand where she's coming she's very torn.
0: I, I think a lot of people have sort of had that opinion and, and they've been able to stand back and look at what's happening right now and- with all of the grief that's come with it, I think there's a lot of people that have, have you know, got, gone back to basics and got reconnected with family uh, on, on the most basic level. I would like to think that moving forward, people remember that and they remember how important it is and they, they remember it's quality, not quantity, you know. So it's one thing to, to, to have three days off a week, but to be elsewhere thinking about other things but, if you, you know, if you get that one day off a week or that two, those two days off a week, take full advantage of it and do what you're supposed to be doing. And that's that's being there with your family.
1: I looked at one of your posts on Instagram. I think you were hugging your dad and I laughed because I remember the first time I met your dad, we all went, well, that's not Max and Claire's father, is it? And I think you posted a picture and you were both wearing the same shorts, got the same loafers, T-shirt, went What's going on there? It is scary. Two two peas in a pod. At least if you live as long as him, you know what you're going to look like.
0: Oh no! Yeah, there's there's no guesses there. Honest to God, everywhere we go, people pretty much have the same response. Uh, So it's not a new
1: not a new experience. You get it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: We're carbon copies.
1: Have you got any of his better qualities? I always think about it like my own dad. I go, look, I've got that best quality, but I seem to have missed out on these others.
0: I, I probably have got his lack of patience. Uh, <laughs> I, I probably I've got his work ethic. i like to think I've got that and I don't think that comes from both mum and dad. Mum and dad would always drill into us work ethic obviously and, and uh, respect for money, you know, so so w- what you earn, it's important to, to to think about what you're doing with it um, and to, to not abuse it. So they were they were a couple of things that mum and dad always drilled into us as kids and, and things like that is is what I definitely want to pass on to to
1: Spence for sure. It's interesting. I mean, having, you know, done this podcast a few times now, uh, when you talk to very successful people and you're one of them, one is this kind of unbridled energy and constantly on the go and having to remind themselves of other people around them. It's a hard one to reconcile. It's not unfamiliar. It's certainly not on your own. It's a bit like the conversations about uh, mental health and, you know, balance and all of this.
0: Yeah, I th- I, I've definitely had those moments where I think like I, I've felt sometimes I'm, do I deserve to, to, to have the success and do I deserve to be in this position and these opportunities? Yes, you do, Matt. Yeah, you know, you, you do. You question those things and um, I guess it's all it's all part of it. And you, I mean, you look at people that have been incredibly successful in their they're these mm-hmm. mega, mega celebrities and how they manage it and cope with it and, uh, like, I just finished watching the, the whole uh, Michael Jordan thing on Netflix. Like, the guy, it was just, you know, how he managed to, to be all of those things and be all of those people um, and perform on that level, it was it's just, it's mind-boggling.
1: It's a common theme. You know what? It's the guy that's, you know, just happily fishing four hours. He's very present in his life. He's dreaming of being more successful and the guy that's super successful, he's just dreaming of fishing. It's, just, yeah, it's so true. And, and never the twain shall meet. If You you know what? If you if you had your chance to do something else in life, you know, if you could rewind the clock, would you do anything else? No. Yeah, did you ever dream of being a fireman, a fighter pilot, a, you know, a school teacher?
0: When I when I was at school, when I was at school, I had two plans. If hospitality wasn't going to work out for me, I was going to be a PE teacher. <laughs> That's that's what I. could... They were always the cool ones. They were just like a lot more relaxed. They didn't wear suits. Uh, they got to you know rock up the class in shorts and joggers and and get outside and and be active and do all those sorts of things. So that that was kind of like the backup plan. Um, but I always, from the day I left school, I always wanted to be in hospitality and I always wanted to have my own business in hospitality at some point. Uh, where you know I, I had a lot of plans when I was a lot younger about about having my own cafe or restaurant, um, but obviously being out the front and uh, running it from that end but as as life moved on and, and my ideas and and passion evolved um it turned out that I, I wanted to cook um but i always always wanted to have my own business i didn't want to work for someone else for the rest of my life
1: well, what's next do you think
0: at, at, at the moment i think a, a lot of my energy outside of the restaurant will be going into into the farm so i've i've just put put through the uh, first order of fruit trees to be delivered i'm actually going out there on the weekend of uh, hire machines, so the dad and I are going to go out there and start digging all the holes and prepping all the holes to put the fruit trees in. And then moving forward, the next thing will be cattle. So I'm looking to buy a couple of dozen Brangus to, to, to kick them off and, and start that whole process. And I think for me that, that the, the realization that I wanted to go down this road uh, in particular from the, the, the cattle side of things was I almost felt a, a little bit of a rite of passage or, you know, it's like I needed a deeper connection and understanding of of what all of this is about, this industry, and and you know, see so I'm at the, the the tip of the iceberg, cooking everything, but I just felt like it, it. Once I'd been satisfied with that, I needed to go deeper, and I needed to get my hands dirty. Um, I needed to start to cultivate um, produce, and I wanted to be looking after uh, animals and, and things like that. So, I think it's going to be a really nice switch of focus for me, and and I'm I'm what I'm seeing is both of them bouncing off each other nicely uh, and, and I guess one complimenting the other and, and one making me more passionate about the other and back
1: and forth. I love how you're thinking. You're asking all the right questions. Normally you have to be a little bit older to be so wise, Matt. I'm only just starting to learn now.
0: It's all those sleepless nights, guys.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. We're going to wind it up. It's been no beautiful worries. to talk to you. I love your energy. Don't underestimate that energy. You've got to harness it in the right way. and We can't wait to see what you do next your food is damn good you know i love your food so you know i'll be happy if i go to the restaurant and just every time i go that that dish is still on the menu you know the one we were talking about <laughs> what he's taking it off dale tell him to put it back on <laughs> so for my tips and tricks matt is famous for his roti bread and i love roti bread in fact i love all kinds of kind of roti paratha. Non bread, and if you've never made it at home, it is surprisingly simple to make. It perfect is another thing, but we're not about perfect at home. So my recipe for roti or parotta is 200 grams of flour, half a teaspoon of baking powder, half a teaspoon of salt, half a teaspoonful of sugar, one tablespoonful of oil. Doesn't matter what it is, and one cup of water. You simply add the oil and the other dry ingredients into a bowl. And then rub it together with your hands and make a fine crumb. This is an important stage. Then add the water and you'll end up with a sticky dough. Knead it for about a minute or two. Cover it in a little oil. And what I mean by that is a couple of drips of oil. Rub your hands over the top of the dough so it's a little oily and shiny. And then leave it rest for about half an hour. What happens is it gets lovely and soft and pliable and easy to work with. Give it another quick knead, divide it into equal size portions. And then here's the trick. And this is where it's a little different from, say, a normal pastry that you'd roll out. Oil the bench with your hand. Take one of those little balls of dough, put a little bit of oil over it and press it out, and then with a rolling pin, just roll it out as thin as you can. doesn't matter whether you get a few holes, but it's about trying to get that kind of filigree tissue-like texture. It'll take a little while or a few times to get the practice in to make it perfect, but it's home cooking. It's not about being perfect. And then fold it in on itself, almost like a handkerchief or a present, until you get like a little parcel. It's about creating layers. And then frying pan over a medium heat, throw one of those breads in and give it about three to four minutes aside. And with a bit of practice, you'll get these little crispy layered breads. And can I tell you, they are delicious and better than anything you'll ever buy. Play to Call Home is a Podcast One production produced by Dave Swalinski with audio production by Darcy Thompson.